got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to John chapter 8. And we are in a section of Scripture today that John wrote. So congratulations. Uh, if you were here last week, he was a little more nervous about that. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. I'm going to invite Ashley to come. She's going to do our Scripture reading for today. So let's turn our hearts to uh, God's Word now. This is the Word of God from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one witness who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the light. And I am praying now for illumination. That as we look in your word and we look in the scriptures, you would make it clearer to us who you are and what you're calling us to. Make it clearer than it's ever been before. God, for someone who's here today who maybe has not yet taken that step of faith and, and put their trust in you and, and stepped into the light, Jesus, I pray you'd call them to do that. For those who've been walking with you for decade upon decade, we still need more of your light. I pray for myself that you'd guard my lips and help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word and may all of our uh, attention go on Jesus in whose name we pray. And everyone said, amen. One of the things in preparing for this teaching and this theme and this subject of light is it is a incredibly multifaceted idea and metaphor. You can look throughout almost every sphere of human existence and find all sorts of conversation about light. If you look through ancient religions, pretty much universally you can find people who have worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you think of the ancients and they, they, they look in the sky, there's this incredible thing that gives us light, that gives us warmth, that keeps us alive. We'd better bow down and worship it. And that's pretty common throughout human history. You find uh, in philosophy, ancient through modern, people who are uh, philosophical talking about being enlightened, uh, you know, having the age of enlightenment. You can go back to Plato, way back, you know, 500 years before the time of Jesus, and Plato is talking about, you know, the light in the cave, and people don't want to come out of the cave because the light is painful, and the light means thinking deeply. I mean, just all this conversation about the light. Even just as a light is something that's fun, right? Like you've got heavy, you know, religion, philosophy. What about shadow puppets, 
right? Like my kids were doing this the other night. They're, they had their lamp on in their bedroom and, and they're, they're doing shadow puppets. They were, I mean, I was trying. It looked, my, my dog looked like he got hit by a car or something. But, you know, it's kind of fun to do shadow puppets. Or if you've seen any one of the, you know, 1100 Star Wars movies that they're making now, you've got lasers and lights. And I mean, it's just fun. Light, light is, is kind of everywhere. When you get into the scientific properties of light, what's really fascinating is that scientists have no idea what light is. They can talk about what it does. They can talk about how it behaves. They've made incredible progress and incredible advances in how to predict its behavior. But I'm reading these things where, where there was kind of a rivalry between this guy, Isaac Newton, and this other guy whose name I forgot because it's not Isaac Newton. And uh, Isaac Newton was saying, no, light's a, light's a wave, right? And it's, it behaves like a wave. And this other guy was like, no, 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 light's a particle. And Isaac Newton's like, I invented calculus before I turned 26. You should believe me. And uh, people are like, okay, Isaac Newton, light's a wave. And then these other people come like, no, I'm pretty sure light's a particle because it's got these, there's this thing called a photon. And then people, other people come along quantum. And they're like, I think it's both a, a particle and a wave. And then everyone's like, we're done. We quit. You get Albert Einstein. You know, the Albert Einstein says, I, <laughs> all these 50 years of conscious brooding have brought me no nearer to the answer to the question, what are light quanta? Nowadays, every Tom, Dick, and Harry thinks he knows it, but he is mistaken. Got Albert Einstein like, what's light? I have no idea. Moving on, right? Talking about light, even preparing for this sermon, when Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world, I kind of felt like it's almost like light hitting a prism. It just refracts in a thousand different directions. What is Jesus saying? What, what is it? What is it he wants us to know? What does he mean by this? Is it, is it all thousand different things or is there something specific? And, 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 and the big idea is easy to grasp. The big idea is just simply Jesus is the light. And as he is the light, we walk in the light. That's it. I mean, that's the big idea. It's, it's very simple. It's, it's, it's John making it easy for us to know what Jesus is saying. I'm the light of the world. I want you to walk in the light. Okay. What does that mean? And, and how do I do it? And I think there's a few things we're going to see as we go through that, that Jesus actually does have some very specific things in mind when he makes this claim. So let's do this. Let's walk through the passage. I'm going to explain a few things in the passage as we go, but then we're going to circle back around and just really focus in on this phrase, uh, the light of the world. So let's make sure we understand what's happening here in the story. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, now, now you don't realize this, uh, just how petty this is, unless you can remember some stuff from chapter five. Listen to what they say. Hey, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony's not true. Like you need to hear it kind of with like a na 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 na. You need to hear it with that kind of tone of voice. Oh, connect card. Welcome. Uh, I feel bad. Those kids are so cute. And I'm like, I know what's going on. I don't need that. But then they hand it to me. Okay. (laughs) Take the connect card. I don't need it. Go, remember back in John chapter 5, there's this idea of Jesus and, and the witnesses. We did a whole sermon on this, but back in John chapter 5, Jesus said, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Basically, what Jesus is saying is like, yeah, I know that I'm making some big and radical claims. I'm claiming to be the bread that comes down from heaven. I'm claiming to have uh, you know, access to the water that gives eternal life. I claim to be one with the Father. Yeah, I know that I'm making some big, important claims. But you got to understand, I'm not making them on my own. 
He says, there's John the baptizer. He bears witness about me. He says, the, 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 the miracles I'm doing, they're bearing witness about me. He says, God's voice. Remember when I got baptized and God's voice thundered and said, this is my beloved son? Yeah, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good witness. And oh, by the way, the scriptures, read the Bible. All this stuff testifies about me. Jesus is like, I'm not just making this up. I know I'm making bold claims. I know I'm making audacious claims, but I have witnesses because according to the law, you have to have at least two witnesses. Jesus then stands up and goes, I'm the light of the world. And the Pharisees go, you can't witness about yourself. And can you just get the exasperation? Maybe like on Jesus' face in this moment, like, are you, like, that's not what I meant, right? I can't think of a good example, but all of you all who are like parents or teachers, you ever work with kids, you know exactly what that feels like. That is not what I meant when I said, you know, Jesus goes, goes with him. He says, okay, look, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is still true because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you don't know. You don't know where I come from where I'm going, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Here's what he's saying. He's like, look, you are missing the point. First of all, even if I'm bearing witness about myself, I'm still telling you the truth. You are missing out on who I am because you're only thinking from a human perspective. Jesus says, me and the Father we're tight. We're in this together. He's witnessing about me. I'm with him. You don't know God. Isn't that the, the great tragedy? These religious leaders who are supposed to be the ones who know God and lead the people to worship God and lead the people to welcome in the Messiah, they're only looking at him from a human perspective. We today miss Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures, the true Jesus, when we only look at him from a human perspective. Friends, was Jesus fully human? Yes or no? Good job. You passed quiz A. Jesus was fully human. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The author of Hebrews says that he was made like us in every way, except for one, no sin. But he is, he is fully human. And yet at the same time, Jesus is fully God. True God of true God, light of light. He is 100% God. Like, how can, how can light be a particle and a wave at the same time? We don't know. How can Jesus be fully God and fully man at the same time? Not 50-50, but like 100-100. You're like, that's 200%. And like, I know, God math is kind of like quantum mechanics. We don't understand it. You're judging from human perspective. Verse 17, in your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and my father who sent me bears witness about me. So I got two witnesses, me and the father. They said to him, oh, well, where, where is your father, Jesus? Oh, that's insulting. Why? Why is that insulting? Remember this thing called the virgin birth? Remember this thing where Mary's like, oh yeah, I, I am pregnant and I can't explain it, but it's a miracle from the Holy Spirit. Now, in the spirit of charity, what's a normal response to that kind of a claim? Sure, right? Some, you know somebody in your high school tried that at one point, right? Like, yeah, I'm pregnant. I don't know how. It's God. It's a miracle. An angel came to Mary said, 
The Spirit of the Most High will overshadow you. You'll be found with Son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. But the reaction of the community wasn't so gracious. Oh, yeah, Mary, we know what's going on. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, Jesus, yeah, as you grow up. Oh, Jesus, yeah, huh? Where, where is your daddy, huh? They're, you know, hey, oh, what's up, buddy? Like, you know, they're using language that is meant to insult and, and, and marginalize and invalidate him. And if you come back in a couple weeks, we're going to get into a big old daddy battle. Like there's the headline in my Bible that says, you are of your father the devil. Like that's going to be a fun sermon to preach, right? Come back in a, a couple of weeks. We'll get into that a little bit more. But they're marginalizing him. And he says, you, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Just lest we forget, Jesus is in charge of when Jesus will die. He says, I lay my life down and I pick it back up again. Yes, the Jewish leaders conspired to have him put to death. Yes, Pontius Pilate ordered his execution. Yes, the soldiers did it. But Jesus is sovereign even in his own death. He's fully in control here. Now, that's what's going on in this moment. It's setting up an even bigger battle. We're going to come back to this theme of light after they fight about your, your daddy being the devil for a while. But let's talk about what this one question that I want to answer in, the, in our minutes that we have left. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world? And as you may have guessed, there's some context here that will help us understand it. I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. One of my goals every Sunday morning when we gather like this is not that you would become more reliant upon me or any one of the pastors, but that you would become more reliant upon the scriptures. I I really hope and pray that you walk away not just understanding the scriptures, but understanding how to understand the scriptures for yourself so that you can test even what I say against the word of God. Amen? And the context tool. What's going on? What's happening here? What's What's this, you know, these verses, what's happening? If you've been around for the last few weeks, you know that this conversation, this conflict is happening during a period of time, a feast known as the Feast of Booths. Bingo. Give the gold star. The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Sukkot. It's a tent party, if you want to put it into the vernacular where the people of Israel gathered together for a week and they camped out in tents and they said, hey, remember when our ancestors camped out in tents and God provided for them in the desert and God took care of them and let's have a big week-long feast and we sit around in tents. And and by the way, there's some imagery and there's some themes and there's some stuff going on that help us understand what Jesus meant. I, I stumbled across this this week in one of the commentaries from something called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is Jewish writing. It's, it's kind of like a commentary. And it was written down around 200 AD. And they're talking about what this festival, what this party was like. And so I want to read you a little, a little bit of this. So like, this is the scene. When Jesus stands up and, and does this thing, this is the kind of stuff that's happening. So in the Mishnah, the section Sukkah, chapter 5, it says, there were four golden candelabras there. And four golden basins at their head. And you're like, okay, so big candles, right? No, no, four ladders going up to each one. I read another commentary that said that each one of these candles, don't think of them as a candle or a, or a, or a uh, you know, a, 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 like think of them like an Olympic torch, maybe as tall as 75 feet high. 
oh, so the ladder, well, who are we going to get to climb a 75-foot ladder? Four of the rising youth of the priesthood. (laughs) Hey, you kid. (laughs) Translation, low man on the priestly totem pole. You climb the ladder with nine liters of oil in a jar to pour into the basins and light the darn thing on fire. That's big. You've got to think about this, especially in an age before electricity or before public lighting. Four 75-foot Olympic torches with scared priestly teenagers climbing up the ladders. (laughs) Here's funny. From the worn-out pants of the priests and from their worn-out belts... Belts means underwear. Uh, It's just a little tip. Uh, They would tear pieces and use them as wicks to light with them. That's fascinating. Okay. And there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the light of the place of the water drawing. Pious people and men of great deeds would, they would gather very solemnly and look at the torches. No. They would dance before them with lit torches in their hand. Hey, the four big giant torches aren't enough. Give everyone else fire and let them start dancing. And they had lit torches in their hands, singing songs and praises while the Levites played harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, and innumerable other musical instruments. It's like a religious, holy, sacred Coachella happening here, right? Like people are just losing their minds, lighting things on fire. Give everyone a trumpet. Like you've ever heard one trumpet? Give everyone a trumpet. More trumpets, more noise. And they partied until the break of dawn. And it's in the middle of all this that Jesus stands up and goes, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. I mean, it would be, it would be the most arrogant and prideful thing if it weren't true, right? Like, like imagine that we have the Olympics going on and they're lighting the Olympic torch and we get, you know, like, like Michael Phelps walks up to the front of the Olympic torch and goes, I just want to thank you all for throwing this huge party just for me, right? Like, like, whoa, that's pretty arrogant. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. This feast, this party is going on. Now, when they're partying like this, they're, they're looking forward. They're looking forward to the day when the Messiah comes. There's a, a prophet named Zechariah in the Old Testament. He says, on that day, when, when the Messiah shows up, there will be no light. The sunlight and the moonlight will diminish. It will be a unique day known only to the Lord without day or night, but there will be light at evening. So they're lighting torches at night to say, hey, we want the Messiah to come. But there's something even more specific. They're they're looking back. They're looking back to a time, again, of the Exodus, when they lived in tents. Do you guys remember anything about that story? Those of you who are familiar with the Exodus story, do you remember any special appearance of, like, you know, light and fire that showed up during the Exodus? Pillar of fire. Yeah, the column of smoke, the pillar of fire. You guys remember that? The children of Israel, they, they come out of Egypt, and there is this pillar of fire like it's cloud during the day and then it's fire at night and like can we just admit that's odd that's one of those strange things in the bible and then somebody on the history channel goes ancient aliens bro and then i'm like and i'm the crazy one for believing that jesus rose from the dead right but look the 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 pillar of fire god appears to them in this this theophany this incredible appearance of fire and smoke and well it means a couple things right Looking back on on Exodus 14, it means that they received salvation. In Exodus 14, it says they're running away, they're they're leaving Egypt, and then all of a sudden they hit the the Red Sea. 
and they can't go any farther. They're going to, to drown, and then they turn around maybe to go back, but, but who's chasing them? The Pharaoh and his army. Hey, I'm not cool with losing all my slaves. I want my slaves back. I want those people back. Let's go find them. Let's go get them. And so they're hunting them down. And it says in Exodus 14 that the pillar of cloud moved behind the people of Israel and Pharaoh's army stopped. And here, the people of Israel were in an impossible situation. They couldn't do anything. And out of just sheer grace and sheer power, God provides salvation. They were going to die and now they live. Isn't that amazing? God provides salvation. But it's not just that God provides salvation, it's that God provides guidance. In Exodus 13, and it's echoed in the Psalms, it says that the the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire would would move around and they would just follow it. He would show them where to go. It even says in Exodus uh, chapter 13 that the fire at night made it possible for them to travel at night. Like you can't travel at night in the ancient world. They didn't have headlamps and you know, mag lights and batteries and, you know, they didn't have any of that stuff. You are completely dependent on the moon and that's probably not enough for a huge group of people, but oh, you set up a giant torch flame pillar thing. It's like, all right, we can go. God says, go, let's go. And then amazing, God provides his guidance where there would be no safe passage, where there would be no opportunity. God provides his guidance. And then lastly, God provides his presence. In Exodus 33, says that the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire would stop and it would, it would rest. And they say, okay, it's time to set up the tabernacle. And they would set up the tent of worship. It says that Moses would go in and that God's presence would fill the tabernacle. And it says in Exodus 33 that God would speak with Moses face to face the way that a man speaks with his friend. It says that Joshua would hang there and, and be present, but all the rest of the people were kind of hanging back and Moses would come out and tell the people what God said. It's pretty remarkable. God's presence is with his people. It's not just that he's saved them. It's not just that he's out there somewhere leading them. It's that he's there with them. And it's in the middle of all of this meaning, in the middle of all of this history and context that Jesus stands up and says, I'm the light of the world. So what does it mean when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world? It means at least this much. It means that he is our salvation. Just like the people of Israel, we have gotten ourselves into a predicament that we cannot get ourselves out of. And it's not just Pharaoh's army that's coming after us. It is death itself. That we exist in our fallenness and in our brokenness in a state of slowly breathing to death Unless God intervenes and does something, we will die in our sins. And Jesus shows up and says, I am the light of life. I am your salvation. How many of you know we need light to live? And don't get all Seattle on me like, no, man, I prefer the clouds and the rain. Like, you are lying. You're lying. Yes, you think you do because it gives you credibility in a grumpy part of the world. But listen, you need light And in your most hipster cynical moments, when the sun comes out, you still secretly go sit by the window because your skin is crying out for vitamin D, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Just be honest. Your soul needs the light that Christ provides. You, you try to, to, to fill that, that need and that desire, but at the end of the day, there is only one source of the light of life, and it is Jesus. 
So when he says, I'm the light of the world, I'm the light of life, he's saying, I'm giving you salvation. That Jesus died on the cross and and rose on the third day that we might be brought into the light of God. We have no right to come into his light because if honestly with our sin and with with our brokenness, if we come into the light of God, it's like Seattleites going into the light after six months of rain. You wince and you pull back. But if Christ's blood is covering us, then we have full assurance to enter into God's light because it's not about us and our works. It's about the perfect work of Jesus Christ. So he's our salvation. He's our guidance. Jesus said, whoever follows me. So like the pillar of fire give guidance to the people of Israel. Jesus gives guidance to us. Whoever follows me, there is an active component to being in the light. Being in the light is not like laying in a tanning bed. It's, which is a weird, and I've never said that before, but I'm sticking with it, right? It's not this passive lay there, I'm just basking in the light. Yes, step into the light, and then the light's gonna go somewhere, and the light's gonna beckon you to move and to do something. So we follow Jesus. We don't sit passively. There's this phrase that sometimes goes around in in church Christian circles, and I I know what is meant by it. It's the whole let go and let God thing. Like, I get it. I get it. But the, the, the point being like, oh, you know, we have to trust God and not be control freaks. That's fine. But at the end of the day, our faith is an active faith. He does a remarkable, miraculous work of bringing us into light, and then we're called to follow to put our faith into action. And if Jesus is the light, then that means that God is with us. He says, I am the light of the world, the light of where people live. Is he the light of heaven? Yes. Is he the bright and shining morning star? Yes. But beyond that, he is the light of the world, that God has not abandoned us. God has not left us in our darkness. God has not been willing to let us exist in a world of darkness brought on, brought on by our own folly and rebellion. He says, no, I'm the light of the world, and I'm coming after you. God loves you. God is with you. If you step into the light of Christ, then you can know that God is with you. And you think, yeah, but the more I come into the light, the more I start to see just this, the yucky parts of me and the, 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 the fallen parts of me and the broken parts of me. And we like to keep those things hidden and covered. But here's the thing. Nothing is hidden and covered before the sight of God. He already knows it all. And Jesus died for us, not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. You have nothing to fear from coming into the light of Christ because God is with us. If you go look back in John chapter 1, John chapter 1 is like this dense, dynamite-packed just bomb of all the different themes and all the different threads throughout the rest of the Gospel of John. And it says in John chapter 1, you remember this, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is the same word for tabernacle, for tents, for booths. The Word set up a tent and moved in with us us tent dwellers. And here we're having a festival of tents and we live in tents and, and God is with us, not just in a pillar of fire, but in flesh. And even now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he's given us his Holy Spirit. You have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, alive and at work within you. God is with us, church. God is with us. Now, That's what Jesus means. But I want to ask one last question. What does it mean 
for us to walk in the light. Again, this is, this is pretty specific when you start to understand this, this feast of booths, this festival, but walking in the light, man, how do we walk in the light? What does that mean? How do we do that? Again, I think it can mean a lot of things, but it at least means four things. The first thing that at least it means is that we've received salvation from Jesus Christ. These fair, what's interesting about this is the, the Pharisees here, they're interacting with Jesus a lot. They're talking about religious and spiritual and biblical things, but they do not have the light of life. How many of you know that it is possible to think about religious and spiritual things, to even interact with the Bible, to interact with Jesus, and yet not have the light of life, to not be saved. In, in 2 Timothy, um, the apostle Paul is warning, he's like, there's these people, they, they talk a big game, they do all sorts of things, they like to get into controversies, but they ultimately teach false things. And he says they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. They really, they really look good. They really look godly. They, really, they, have an, they have partial truths. They have partial revelation, but they don't have salvation. Friends, I'm here today. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've not stepped into the light and said, I am a sinner. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I need to have the source of life just being brought back into my life. Today is the day. You, you, we can't be enlightened the way that Jesus is talking about if we've not come to him for grace and mercy and salvation. Walking in the light, before it means anything else, it means that. Receive his grace. It also means interact with his word. Famous verse from Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if Jesus the light is our guidance, he's given us his word and, and even specifically his written word so that we might know how to live and how to respond. Friends, God is so good to give us a book, like a written down book. I was just talking with some friends last night. Um, I don't have the greatest of memories. Uh, and one of the great, the, one of the fun parts of that is I get to watch new movies all the time, even if I've seen them before, okay? God, this has happened multiple times in my life where we get to the end of the movie and my wife's like, we have watched this before. I'm like, oh yeah, like at the very end when the reveal comes. I forget things. Go to the grocery store. What am I here for? Go to my bedroom. What am I here for? Like I go, you know, you guys do this too, right? A lot of knowing glances between married couples right now. God gave us the written word. Oh, yeah. Do not commit adultery. Got it. That's right. You know, like, simple as it might be, God gives us his written word to illuminate us, to, to help us to know. If, if you are, are walking in the light, it means that you're regularly interacting with his word. We are so blessed and fortunate to be able to have, like, literally every translation of the Bible available in, a, in our pocket. And, and we give out free Bibles out in the lobby. And man, maybe you're not the best reader. That's okay. There's audio Bibles. And man, maybe you're just not very disciplined. Okay, well, you got friends and get together. and Let's read the Bible together. You know, like, let's, let's engage with the Word of God. Engage with the Word of God. Walking in the light, it, again, it means maybe a lot of things, but it at least means that we're engaged in community. Earlier in our worship service, 
uh, we read this verse from 1 John. It says, if we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, and then I always assumed that John would say we have fellowship with God. But the first thing that John says in this letter, he says we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ Jesus, his son, purifies us from all unrighteousness. So one of the things that it means to walk in the light means that we walk in community. We walk in relationship with one another. Now, we use this word community, community groups, and we make a big deal about it. Let me just say this. Um, I am fully invested in the idea of community groups, but it's not the end. Community group is not the goal. I'm going to say something scandalous. Is Myung in the room? Cover your ears, okay? He leads our community groups. We don't care if you're in a community group. We care that you're in community. Biblical relationship, life on life, praying, knowing one another, sharing, walking in the light. Now, community group can be a really helpful tool in that, but some of you have gone to a community group for two years regularly, faithfully, and you've never opened up and actually walked in the light the way that the Bible calls us to. I can't, I can't share that about myself. I can't, I can't, oh, they would judge me. Oh, I, I know, I know the fear is real. Let me remind you, Two things. Number one, we as Christians are called to walk in the light, not because we're so perfect, but because the blood of Christ is perfect. And number two, on the other side of that, we as Christians lose the right to be shocked when someone steps into the light and you see something of them that you didn't know before. Because Christ loved us at our ugliest. And so when somebody shows up to a group or to a cup of coffee or to a dinner at your house or an afternoon in the park and they share something about their life that not, that's, that's not working, you as a Christian lose the right to go, <gasps> What? Man, thank you for sharing that with me. Praise God that you're trusting that. Can I, I don't even necessarily know what to say, but I love you and I'm committed to you and I want to pray for you and I want to walk this out together, walking in the light. Some of you have been withdrawing from community and you're not obeying Jesus. You're not obeying Jesus because you're not walking in the light of his word, the light of community, or the last one is the light of mission. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought you were the light of the world. Yeah, yeah. Guess what? I just lit you on fire. You're going with me. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine in front of people so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Get out there. The world is dark. The world is broken. I'm lighting you on fire so you can go make a difference. Let me, let me specifically say something to us, Sound City Bible Church. Are there many things that we can be outraged about in the world? Are you paying attention? Are you, are you awake? Are you alive? Do you have a phone? Do you ever check the news? Yes, there are many things that we can be outraged about in the world. I would suggest that you make an effort to quit looking at the darkness out there and start to pay attention to the darkness right where you live and work and recreate. Oh, I'm so upset about this thing in politics and that thing out there, and I spent like three hours yesterday on Facebook. I'm lighting up the world with my Facebook comments. No, you're not. 
You're wasting yours and everyone else's time. But did you know just one example, one little tiny example, that if you go to the school that's in your neighborhood, that there are children showing up who slept in their car the night before and who haven't had food in their cupboards maybe for weeks or months at a time. So while I understand that there's much to be vexed out there, you have opportunities to actually be the light of Christ right where you live. And so many times we're content with spewing light out there and we're missing the fact that there's darkness and brokenness literally everywhere that you set your foot, in your office, in your school, in your neighborhood. Do you know what your neighbors are going through? Do you even know their names? It is so easy in our world of outrage media and, by the way, entertainment. I am not anti-entertainment. I just confess to you that I sometimes watch the same movie multiple times, okay? Oh, man, I watched this show and I cried. I wept like a baby. When was the last time you cried and wept like a baby about something that was real in your life, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace? God love you. Watch a TV show. If Jesus means anything by saying you're the light of the world, then we better obey. We better obey because we've been called out of darkness, out of death, out of hopelessness, out of despair, into his marvelous light. We've got to follow, church. So I ask you again, are you walking in the light? I don't believe in one-size-fits-all application points to a sermon. you got to do business with Jesus. For some of you, it's I need to study the Bible more because I've invented a God of my own imagination. I just don't really even know what the Bible says. Get to work. Let's go. Some of you, it's i gotta, I got to get in community. i got to open up. There's some things in my life that are just not working. Go. Do it. Do it. He's calling you to obey. Some of you, I got to get on mission. I got to go deal with some brokenness in my neighborhood. I know I've, I've heard things. I've seen things. I got to step in. I got to go. Go, obey. Because guess what? It's not about us. It's not, that's the great thing about being a follower of Jesus. It's the pressure is off. We've been saved. We've been set free. We've been brought into the light. Let's dance. Let's light some torches. Let's break out some trumpets. Let's celebrate because we've been given life that we didn't deserve Let's go tell somebody about it. Amen? That's my charge to you. God, I ask and I pray that you'd help us to see you as the light of the world and to know how to respond. God, I confess for myself that I am so prone to just drift back into my own darkness and that, God, you want me and and you want each of us to step more fully into the light, the light of your word, the light of community, the light of mission. God, for some who are here today, It's a step into the light for the first time, the light of salvation. However you call us to respond, would you help us to put to death those fears, the fear that that build up in us when we hide out in the darkness. God, help us to step into the light and be obedient to you because you have seen us at our worst and you've loved us in our darkest places and you've given us the light of life. Amen. Friends, I want to invite us to respond, and we've got to respond uh, in a few ways. First is through the giving of our, of our offerings. If you're a guest or a visitor, no guilt trip, no pressure. For all of you, an invitation to give cheerfully and generously as God calls us to. 
and understand that these gifts that you give are, are part of the mission that goes forward here in Sound City Bible Church, so that we can, uh, you know, love and serve and care for families who are stepping into broken places like foster care or, or homelessness or outreach or, or opening up their homes to do community groups. This is, this is furthering the work of the ministry here at the church and even uh, as God gives us opportunities nationally and internationally. But the most important thing is that you give with a cheerful and generous heart. We'll invite our younger students class to join us in for this time of response. And then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 because we're going to go to the table. We're going to celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For, for those of you who are here and, and you're, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a celebration for Christians. And so we would invite you to abstain or even better, step into the light and join us at the table. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we eat and drink today, Jesus... Thank you for dying that I might have life. Thank you for calling me out of my darkness and calling me into your wonderful light. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that means an unexamined manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. We take this serious, church. So let a person examine himself. Then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'm going to trust that you have the Holy Spirit and that he's going to bring to mind where it is that he's calling you and beckoning you to step more fully into the light. I'm going to invite you to pray, to take a moment now as the musicians come and and they'll play instrumentally for, for a moment to give you time to just pray and do business with God. And then in a few minutes, we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to celebrate just a little bit. We can't light things on fire in here, but uh, a little bit of that celebration from the Feast of Booths because our Messiah Christ Jesus has come. Lord, we bring our hearts before you now. And as we celebrate the table, as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, I pray that you would bring to mind for us those areas where you are calling us to respond to you. May we walk in the light. May we walk in obedience as you have given us the light and called us to follow you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would remind us even through this act of eating and drinking, that it's not us, it's not our light, it's not native to us, it's not inherent to us, but it's all a gift of your righteousness, the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf. We give you thanks and we give you praise. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen.